0: sure you contact Andrew and he can make sure that your email is on the list and you're getting that information. Tomorrow is a very important day. What's tomorrow? Tomorrow's Veterans Day. Veterans Day historically used to be known as Armistice Day and uh, was what we honored, how we honored those who U.S. veterans who had fought in World War II. And now it's to honor all veterans of all U.S. wars that we've been involved in. And we would love an opportunity just to have our veterans, any here, stand up. And we just want to acknowledge you and uh, say thank you so much for your sacrifice. Larry was the only one here uh, today, but uh, Chuck Crouch is back in the child care. Glenn Rogers is sick, uh, homesick today, and I'm sure that there's probably others, but we honor them greatly for their sacrifice. Glenn Rogers, last week preaching, did a phenomenal job. I have heard amazing things. So, yeah, give him, even though he's home, you're like, he's home. We're not clapping for him. Right. Well, I want to uh, jump in today. Believe it or not, I do pastor this church. Even though I haven't uh, been in the pulpit for a while, this is exciting. It's something I've been looking forward to getting back in the saddle. But we've had some great uh, different ones, uh, guest speakers here that we just couldn't pass up. And uh, we trust that God has used that to uh, grow us as a people. So, I want to give you a little bit of a warning. I, I may step on just a couple toes and uh, just kind of hit a few sacred cows uh, this morning of tip, tip a few sacred cows, you know, and of tradition, have you ever asked yourself why we do the things that we do? No. Just things that we've grown up doing, we've just always done them, but we really haven't asked the reason, why, why do we do that? Where did this start? Where did it get, to be, get its beginning? Uh, you know, I enjoy a question that will come to mind, like, why do we do this? Yeah, Google and figure out what was the origin of this thing. And, uh, but we, just, we do it because that's the way we've always done it. Uh, in the church, we have lots of these different traditions. Of things that we just do. I mean, why do we come in and just... Why do we start with singing and then we go to this and we do this? And it's kind of like, that's the way we've always done it. So that's the way we do it. Why do we sit like this in this configuration? Why have we done things that have been done in the church for a thousand years or whatever? And, you know, so these things, many of these things inherently in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with them Uh, but we need to consider the purpose as to the why that we do them. For instance, we've discovered some things in God's Word that we've looked at, and that when Jesus said, uh, where two or more are gathered together in my name, remember that? Okay, He wasn't talking about getting people together for a prayer meeting, was he? Uh, pastors like to throw that one out there from time to time it's like hey we've got to have at least two or three people so we need a big group of people to come together and you guys know that that's not the context of what she was talking about that and next time you're going to be like i'm not falling for that one i'm not coming to that prayer meeting because you use that scripture wrong we uh we've learned different things for instance we've thought you know the truth sets you free And we realize that's not what Jesus said. The truth actually doesn't set you free. The application or the practice of truth as a disciplined disciple of Jesus Christ, that is the truth worked in our lives that actually sets us free. He says if you abide in the truth, then the truth will eventually be part of what sets you free. So, Things that we've just heard, you know, kind of Sunday school style. We've grown up hearing and we just have rolled with it because that's the way we were taught. So we're just like, okay, I'll go to that prayer meeting. Two or three gathered together. We've got to have that. Of course, that assumes that if one person is by themselves praying that God's not with them. Okay. Things that we become familiar with. I was, you know, as I'm preparing for this message, I was thinking last night there was this huge pot... Of uh, uh, water that I'd put on the stove, and you know, I said, "Kids, uh, I'm doing Mr. Mom thing." You know, at home with Lisa gone. Dear God, please bring her back to me soon. (laughs) Guys, doesn't your respect and love for your wife just go through the roof every time she goes away? Because you realize what she does and what she puts up with on a 24/7 basis that you have no idea. It's like going to work is easy compared to what my wife has to put up with at home with the home, you know, all the different work and, and all that. So, but, uh, you know, I put this pot and then we ended up, we were going to do pot stickers. So I'm putting that on and Trin says, you know, dad, the easy way is just to do it this way in the on the pan fry. So I'm thinking, I don't want to waste all that water. It's a huge pot. Well, I just took the water and eventually just threw it out and, you know, threw it in the garden. But it was... Such a familiar thing. We've got lots of it. I can just go to the sink and turn it on again. You know, people in other countries around the world have a very different attitude. People in the Middle East, Africa, different places, that is one of the most valuable commodities. As we've been talking about redigging the wells, and we talked about how the Philistines, you know, filled in the, the wells of Abraham that Isaac was redigging. And uh, that was that was war. Because that was, their, that was their livelihood. It's how they fed their, their livestock. It's how they lived themselves. Without water, you can't live. And here I am throwing this out. And I was, as I'm preparing this, and you don't know what I'm going to be speaking on, but I do, so I was, I was messed with. Anybody know what the most dangerous diseases in the world for children five and under are? What do you think? Most dangerous diseases—the de- diseases in the world that are killing the most kids, five and under. Dysentery. Yeah, I had no idea. Todd, you got it. You got it right. It's actually number one's pneumonia, then diarrhea, and then uh, what was the other one? Malaria. And you know, a lot of people think AIDS and different things because that gets a lot of press, a lot of fanfare. Uh, you don't necessarily see, you know, pop stars, rock stars doing a concert to benefit diarrhea in the world. It's just, I mean, it sounds funny, but it's like this is a very, very serious issue. Um, but uh, this, this kills more children under five than AIDS, malaria, measles combined. I mean, roughly one in every, every 20 seconds. A, a child dies. That's what they, they believe is, is the statistic truth. So, you know, is this one of those messages where we're supposed to feel bad about ourselves because we don't suffer from, you know, death and diarrhea? No, no, that's not what we're talking about. It's not the point. Uh, does it tug at compassion, when you hear those things when you hear statistics or statistics or there's so much information that we become familiar with that we just kind of glaze over and it's like oh that's really a bummer for them so asking the question what what can I do in my little world to make a difference in someone's life what can I do we, we talk about uh, reaching, touching, loving. The unreached, the untouched, the the unloved. Food, transportation, these different things. I, I want to speak to uh, an issue that uh, I think in in some ways, or the church is very strong, but others times we're not, and an area that we definitely need to grow in. In So, if you want a title, here it is Justice Church. Justice Church. It's been said that if God says something once in the Bible, he means it. If he says it twice, he really means it. And so, if you could consider that this subject of justice actually warrants 500 verses of direct teaching in the New Testament alone 500 verses just in the New Testament. We might deduce from this that this might be something that's close to God's heart. The Bible talks about all kinds of things, of course. Every area of life. Remember, it's the, God's Word is the owner's manual for our lives. That we're called to live according to God's Word. If our life doesn't reflect God's Word, then our life has to change. We don't just start tearing out pages of the owner's manual that God has given us for living. And talks about heaven and hell, sexual purity, the second coming, but nothing compares to the topic, for instance, of how we handle money. Oh, here he goes. How we treat the poor, the oppressed. The only topic that has more teachings devoted to it in the entire Bible is the subject of idolatry. So if you're really majoring on idolatry in your life, then that would be a good thing. It's more than what the issue of justice is, is uh, being addressed as. But the, that's a, I, I think that's really fascinating. One in 16 New Testament verses and one in 12 verses in the Gospels speaks about God's passion for the poor, for the less, for the have-nots. 1 in 16 1 in 12 in the gospels sometimes we can end up majoring on things that Jesus is actually only minoring on and and we end up missing thinking that we're doing the things that are really close to his heart and it's like oh Jesus ah he's like ah uh, you're This really wasn't one of my major things that I was hitting on. What does God value? We talked about before, you know, what, what kind of worship does God like? Well, all of our life is worship. What we worship, who we worship, is those things that we behold. We become like that which we worship. It's just the reality. We're all worshipers. Doesn't matter if you follow Jesus. Buddha or yourself, everybody's a worshiper and we're becoming like that which we worship. So what does our life reflect? Do, does our life reflect God's values? Not just what we think are His values. Remember, the truth should set you free. No, not actually. It's the things that we think we know what God values and then we realize, oh my goodness. I had no idea that 500 verses dealt with this just in the New Testament alone. This is not about self-deprecation. This is not about self-induced poverty that we all just need to sell everything we have and live as poor. You know, uh, uh, That's not what we're talking about. This is not where this is going. So just let that go out. It's not about feeling bad because of how much you have. It's not the issue. But what are we doing with what we have? God's interested in that. That's something we all have to evaluate and ask Him and say, Help me see, am I, just, am I just going along in life, thinking that I'm rolling the way that you've called me to live my life, or is there something different that I haven't seen before? A perspective, perhaps. This is a question worth considering. So it's not just merely the number of times that the Bible talks about these things, but it's also the passion in which God speaks about them. I can repeat something a number of times and just... Uh, but then when I really start getting into it, you realize, okay, this is coming through loud and clear. I hear you now because I'm sensing that fire that's in you for this. Let's look at a few passages here. First of all, Matthew 22, we're very familiar with it. It's right up here on this board. It's our banner uh, for Christchurch North Shore. But it's love God, love people. Try that out with me. Love God love people. Amen. Bow your heads. Let's pray. We're out of here. I mean, really kind of that that really sums it all up because somebody asked Jesus, "Could you boil it all down for us?" And he said, "Sure, absolutely. Love God all your heart, mind soul strength. Love your neighbor as yourself." And he said that second one is just like it's equally important to the first one. In other words, The first one is not validated unless the second one is put into action. Consider this. You throw up that picture of Pope Francis. I don't know if you've seen this recently. But I I saw this picture and I just absolutely dropped everything and I, I just been I started just kind of cycling through some of these pictures looking at him and here he is, the, the ultimate leader of the Catholic Church. And he walks out and he's addressing people and he steps off his platform in his pulpit of influence and rep, you know all this reputation, these things. It, it reminds you of Jesus in Matthew 8. Somebody made that reference. Uh, but where Jesus is delivering the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about it. this is the constitution of the kingdom of God and how we're to live our lives. And and, uh, then he steps down off this mountain as if to say, now, everything that I've just told you, watch what I do because it's very important. I'm about to demonstrate to you what I just got finished talking about. And he comes down and there's a leper. The ostracized, the rejected, the left out of their culture and he touches him. I wish we had time to go into all that, but needless to say, here is a man that people would prefer not to touch. His body is filled with tumors. Very, very disfigured. I don't know if you have the other picture uh, that's there, but it shows more of what the man looks like. When's the last time you saw a Pentecostal, evangelical, charismatic leader... I don't know that there are any of the level of the Pope. And yet, the things, the walls that are being broken down by this man's demonstration of humility, he kisses this man, he touches him, he blesses him. He is reaching, touching, loving, and he's giving. Proverbs 29, verse 7 The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Really, God, tell us what you really think. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Isaiah 58. Would you go there with me, please? We'll take a little bit of time in this Scripture. Isaiah 58. Some of you immediately are... Remembering what this particular passage is about. This passage doesn't require a Bible scholar to exegete its meaning. Uh, The people here have been complaining that they have been upholding their religious duties and yet God doesn't seem to be answering their prayers. They thought that they, notice this, they thought they were doing what they believed God was blessing. God, we're, we're doing it. We're making it happen. Isn't this what you value? And they're going to find out what He values. We have fasted before you. They say, why aren't you impressed, God? We have done much penance and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why. It's because you're living for yourselves even while you're fasting. You keep right on oppressing your workers. Verse 4, what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance. Bowing your heads like a blade of grass in the wind, you dress in sackcloth and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, the kind of fasting I want calls you to free those who are wrongly imprisoned and to stop oppressing those who work for you. Treat them fairly. Give them what they earn. I want you to share your food with the hungry. And to welcome poor wanderers into your homes. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. In other words, you're not taking care of your own family. It doesn't do any good to go out and help other people. If you do these things, your salvation will come like the dawn. Yes, your healing will come quickly. Your godliness will lead you forward. And the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then you will call. The Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Stop oppressing the helpless and stop making false accusations, spreading vicious rumors. Verse 10, Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as the day. The Lord will guide you continually, watering your life when you are dry and keeping you healthy too you'll be like a well watered garden like an ever flowing spring your children will, re- will rebuild the desert the deserted ruins of your cities then you will be known as the people who rebuild their walls and cities she's saying that you'll be known as the people who can fix anything emotionally physically naturally whatever you'll be known as those people who can fix anything Go to these people. Chapter 59, verse 14. Our courts oppose people who are righteous, and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth falls dead in the streets and fairness has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who tries to live a godly life is soon attacked. The Lord looked and was displeased to find that there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his mighty power and justice. He put on righteousness as his body robes, a body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with the robes of vengeance and godly fury. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. Then at last they will respect and glorify the name of the Lord throughout the world. For he will come like a flood tide driven by the breath of the Lord goes on to bring prophesy about Jesus coming and bringing this and here Jesus lives within us desiring to do his work through our lives Does my life reflect the heart of Christ not only what he preached but what he lived Does my schedule reflect God's schedule? Am I available to Him? Am I moved to action by what moves Jesus? James chapter 1, the Apostle James. writing to the church. Where are you, James? There you are. Verse 27, chapter 1. Pure and lasting religion in the sight of God, our Father, means that we must care for orphans and widows and their troubles and refuse to let the world corrupt us. Pure and lasting religion. Simply to care for orphans and widows. Those who are disconnected from Relationship. We've said this before, but poverty is not a result of the lack of money. Poverty is a lack of relationship. That's what deals with poverty. When we're struggling, who do we go to? We go to our relationships, our family. Help. Verse 14 of chapter 2, James goes on. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, what's the use of saying, you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions. That kind of faith can't save anyone. Suppose you see a brother or sister who needs food or clothing. You say, well, goodbye. God bless you. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, isn't it, an, it isn't enough just to have faith. Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It's dead and useless. And he says, what I'll do is I'll show you my faith by showing you my action. That when I see something or face a need, now, obviously, okay, what are you saying? Every time we see somebody in need, we have to stop what we're doing and, you know, meet that need, give people money, all those kinds of things. No, what are we to do though? We're supposed to start asking the question, God, what would you like me to do? What are you calling me to do? This is not some sort of a a guilt trip thing, you know, of again, we must feel bad about ourselves because of whatever prosperity and blessing that we have. But you remember, as he God says to our forefather Abraham in the faith, our forefather in the faith, he says, I'm going to bless you for what reason? To be a blessing. I'm blessing you to be a blessing. I love that. I love that. Such good stuff. I want to. Uh, I want to show you something. Just, it's a very simple thing. But uh, Andrew's going to pl- put this video up. But I, I really love this. This is a-, a ministry group. I don't even know how to pronounce the name of the organization. But they approached a a homeless veteran man. And uh, similar to what we have encountered when we've been prayer walking in Lake City, in different places. There's a veteran outpatient clinic there. And we've had the opportunity to just love on and minister, uh, you know, prayer and all that. But anyway, they, they did something very simple. But I think that um, you'll be impacted by what you see here. pretty convinced the guy never gave his life to Jesus, at least not there. Was that the point right then? No. There's plenty of people that Jesus encountered that He healed, He restored. There's no record of them surrendering their life to Him or having a born-again experience. What happened there? A restoration of dignity, respect, self worth. That's a beautiful picture. Some common excuses, perhaps, for not helping those they don't deserve it. Is that the point? Did you deserve Jesus coming and getting a hold of your life? What part of that is lost on me though? They got themselves into the mess, let them get it out. Let them get that, let them get out. Or God's call to help the poor applies to another time in history. Or I don't know any people like that. I have my own needs. Uh, You know what? Any money that I would give would be stolen, wasted, or spent wrongly. Or I just don't know where to start. I don't have the time. My little bit won't really make a difference. Let me tell you a quick story about some people who decided to put action to their conviction. And it made a huge difference in the life of one young lady. Last weekend, we were at a wedding by Elijah Cole and his father, Dennis Cole, who's the pastor of that church there, LifeGate in Kentucky. And one of the elders in their church, he got together with him and he told them about a young lady who in their church, she uh, was a cocaine addict and uh, she was... uh, Involved in in prostitution, different things like that. And she was the daughter of a person who was in the church. And they heard about her situation and what she was involved in. They're in Kentucky, so, right? They strap on their guns. They go to the crack house that they had heard that she was at. They did not knock nicely. They kicked the freaking door in. They went in there. This dude stood up to come at them to try and stop them from whatever they were going to do. Papa Stamper said, you better sit your butt down in that chair or the next time you think about it, it's going to be next Tuesday. <laughs> he sat down. They walked into the back rooms. They were knocking through the different doors. They found this girl completely strung out, unconscious, in the back. They, her, they put her over their shoulder and they walked out of there with her today she is in their church she is thriving she's doing well she has got her life back because two men were willing to say bring it let's do this jesus christ in me to bring about effective action and change just when we thought that kind of stuff only happened hundreds of years ago. I guarantee you that young lady is so grateful that they were willing to take action to do something. Jim is so grateful that those people were willing to do something to affect his life. To restore some dignity where he had lost it. For whatever reason, he lost it. They wanted to help give that back. Micah 6.8 So powerful. And I'm just going to hit this briefly. But if you can get it down and go back and look at it. But basically, the question is raised... Okay, all this religious activity, all these things that we're doing. He said, How about if we, how about, would it please you, God, if we, if we sacrifice 10,000 bulls on altars for you? Would that be good enough? Would that please your heart? And what was his response to them? Ah, it's like you need like an Irish accent when you say it. He goes, Hey, you need, you know, I can't even do it now that I said that. Uh, But he says, "I, I, I wish that you would love mercy. You would love justice and that you would walk humbly before your God. 1 Timothy. I'm going to wrap things up here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Here's Paul speaking to Timothy. Timothy's pastoring his church. And so I'm going to tell you what Paul the Apostle told Timothy to tell his church. They were talking about it all the way back then. We're talking about it now. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they might take hold of real life. That rocks. You know what I love about that? He wasn't saying, hey y'all, get poor, give everything away. He, he wasn't decrying at all people who had... Had enough, had more than enough, had a lot. He was just saying, "Why have you? You have to ask the question: Why have you been given? Why have you been given so much?" And so, for American standards, we hear those types of scripture and we go, "Man, I don't have very much." If you have a refrigerator that keeps your food cold, if you have a closet to put your clothes in, if you have a bed to sleep in, you are the the, the top. 25% most wealthy people in the entire world. If you have a warm shower every morning, you're in the top 5%. Welcome to our world. Okay, now what do we do with that? I, I've been going through and evaluating, just looking at, what's what's all my money wrapped up in? Does my bank statement reflect the heart of God Again, 500 verses in the New Testament alone. What am I using that for? Because he says here, talk to him, and we're all talking to ourselves here, to use those things for good works. Asking the question continually, why do I have what I have? Because we all know that money is the root of all evil. Right? No. Oh, we learned something new there. No, the love of money is the root of all evil isn't it it's the it's the love the lust for money that how it consumes us how it holds our focus and keeps us you know so holding on to it so tight that's the love he's talking about money in and of itself not a not a problem if we don't have very much money what do we have we've all got time We've all got resources of energy and and effort and work that we can do to help others as well. So always looking, how can we reach? How can we touch? How can we love? Now, let's close with this. Our motivation. I don't know about you relating to my wife, to my family, to anybody preaching up here. I'm always questioning, Lord, what is my motivation and why I'm doing what I'm doing? when i worship am i just trying to get something from you god or am i you know what i'm saying you you're you're always measuring and evaluating that motivation what is the motivation for us to do the types of things that we would do if we were to take these things to heart and do those things see jesus is both lord and king and he's messiah and savior I love the flow of what was going on this morning, Dean, what you shared and, and all the rest. But, you know, that we can feel so bad about not doing whatever we're not doing. When we need to realize that we're not doing whatever we would do, for instance, these things that God talks about in these different scriptures as you share in His heart, we're not doing those things to gain something from God. God, if I just perform for you, that's all the 10,000 bulls. And what if we do this for you? And what if we do this for you? Then you'll be so impressed with us and you'll be really excited. And you'll love us more. No, we get to live and do what we do from a place of grace, not to a place of grace. So we get to walk with God in in holiness and piety and, and obedience to Him. That's our King and our Lord. But you know what? When we miss it and we don't, and we're not missional, and we're not compassionate, and we don't love, then His grace covers us. And He restores us, and He gets us back to a right and proper inspiration and motivation, which is just to allow Jesus to love through me. So I don't have to get condemned and beat down and thinking, oh, I'm, oh man, all the things that He's talking about. No, but it's the owner's manual that helps us To understand this is what our Lord and Savior, this is what Jesus' heart is. And I want His heart to beat right through my chest into action toward others. Amen. Can you hear that? Amen. So, in closing, here, there is this, uh, as we're coming toward Christmas, there are some things that. you know, as, that we can know about, that we can learn about. For instance, there are, every year, Americans spend $454 plus billion plus in one year on Christmas. We were talking about children, and, you know, the, the 25 million, it's estimated, 25 million people die of dysentery, of diarrhea every year. Why? Because of lack of clean water. That's it, that one thing. You know how much they they estimate it would cost to give clean water to the world? 20 billion. 20 billion, and we're spending every year 450 something billion dollars. That adds up. So as you're coming to Christmas, and what can what can be done what can how can god use us to bring about christmas justice to consider what is the real purpose and intent of why jesus gave god's the biggest giver he gave jesus as the greatest gift how can we give like jesus gave how can we allow our giving to reflect god's giving would it require us to consider a different perspective to evaluate whether or not whatever we do around the holidays and stuff that we could include others in the way that we think and how we budget how we spend our money hopefully this rolls over into asking a lot of questions much greater than just christmas but into all areas of our life and how we steward what god has given us god so loved the world that He gave, He gave, He gave, He gave, He gave. What's our goal? Christ-likeness. To think like Jesus, act like Jesus, talk like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, will you?
1: Can I, can I just share something? With
0: you? Sure. You can say no. Well, I have no idea what you're going to share.
1: <laughs> so I just Here you go. It better be good. better be good. Okay. I just wanted to... Uh, it on you can hear me okay i just wanted to share something that i felt the lord had had given me um, before dean dean got up and i thought no this is not really not really tracking with what dean had to share um but i really feel as if now the lord does want me to share it and wasn't that just tremendous wasn't what eric just shared really terrific really incredible And really, kind of above and beyond everything else, it was a message of grace, wasn't it? It really kind of aligned with what what Dina brought us. And and I was just thinking, wow, how does this really tie in? But I think because of what Eric shared, um, this does really fit in. It's something that I've been really asking myself, uh, and I think it's a challenge for us. And then listening to what Ivy had to say, also really kind of connected to this as well. You know, we can't do any of this, can we, without God's grace? You know, we can't do any of it. None of it. We can't really, you know, he's prevailing, he's infinite, he's boundless grace. But, you know, I have felt as if the Lord is asking me these three questions, and I just wanted to commend these to you. And I think what Ivy shared really ties in with this. Um, Am I prepared to say that everything I have is all yours? Am I prepared to say that I'll do anything that you want me to do? Am I prepared to go anywhere you want me to go? So am I prepared to say that everything I've got is all yours and I'll give it all away? Not that you're asking me to necessarily give it all away, but am I prepared to ask that question? Am I prepared to do absolutely anything you want me to do? And am I prepared to go anywhere you want me to go? And you, you think about those three questions. And if you, I'm asking myself if I really ask those questions. I better duck. Yeah, I better duck, and watch what happens. You know, Ivy was saying, "Am I really prepared to go there? Am I really prepared to go on that weekend? Can I really, can I really cope with that?" And I don't know all the dynamics of what, what your conversation was with the Lord, Ivy, when you asked that question. But she did. And she received God's grace in abundance. Yeah, Just the emotion of her story was, wasn't it incredible? Yeah. And that's what God's saying, isn't it? He's not saying, hey, you ask those three questions, and man, I'm, I'm going to beat you up, I'm going to beat up on you. Maybe he will, but he, he won't, will he? Because his grace is so infinitely, profoundly, absolutely, incredibly abundant. Uh, but I think they're the, th- the three questions. I know they're the three questions I'm asking myself. And I just, just right in light on. of what, what yeah. Pastor Eric shared, I just wondered if we could each, in our own way, say, do, n- don't ask the question. If you don't feel you're being asked to ask the question, but I'm asking you to at least think about the you need to ask the question? Would I give everything up for you? Would I do anything you want me to do? Would I go anywhere you want me to go? Knowing that his grace goes before you. Stand, uh,
0: man. Lord, thank you for great questions. Provoke us to think like you and to know really what's on your heart. May our lives reflect your values and what You want to see happen. May we be Your justice, church.